it's a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, just to open up God's Word with you. If you want to go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 13, uh, we're going to be looking at the end of this chapter this morning, and if you're a guest with us, we've been making our way through the book of Romans now for, goodness, a year and a half or so, almost two years, and uh, we've moved into what we could call the practical part, but as we're going to see this morning, we never want to move past the foundation, that Jesus Christ is our Lord, that he is our Savior, that he is full of mercy towards us. And as the beginning of chapter 12 says, uh, therefore, in light of these mercies, let's live differently. Let's live according to the grace of God. And so we're going to be looking at here at the end of Romans um, 13. But before we jump into God's word this morning, I thought we'd give you two quick updates, uh, one that's more pastoral and the other that's more personal. So on the pastoral side, we as a pastoral team, we got away this past week to go to uh, the annual Leaders Summit hosted by the Harbor Network. Um, it's up in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you're not aware of this, we've been a part of this uh, church network for the last eight years or so. And really the purpose of this network is we as a, as a group of churches are seeking to launch and lead and multiply thriving churches throughout the country. And so these summits are really an opportunity for us as leaders to get back together again, to, uh, to share what God has been doing in our churches. But even more than that, it's to be receiving uh, care from God's word by those who are speaking to us. So that in essence, we are being poured into so that we can then pour out to our local congregations. But one of the cool things that happened for me this past week is I ran into a friend uh, who I'd known from way back when at FSU, and uh, I didn't know this, but he's actually now a part of this network. He and another friend are um, partnering together to plant a church in St. Augustine, Florida. And so they've got a little group of about 30 people that are gathering together. They haven't yet launched Sunday morning services. They're going to do that um, in the springtime. But before then, they're just simply loving and, and caring for one another and continuing to be a light in, in St. Augustine and, and, Lord willing, to continue to be a bigger light in the months and years to come. And it was just such an encouragement to, for me to talk to Joey and to hear what God's doing there. And of course, the reality is those types of stories are happening throughout the country through this network. And so, um, yeah, if you, have, if you have questions, you want to talk more about the Harbor Network, you just want to check it out, would encourage you to do that. God's done some great stuff there. So that's the pastoral update. On the personal update side, um, some of you may not know this, but we had an opportunity to go on sabbatical this summer. Uh, which is really just a, a season of rest and refreshment after a season of ministry. And so um, it was such a sweet time for us to be sent out by you here at Four Oaks. We got super encouraging cards. Um, we also were given some generous gifts that enable us to do things we wouldn't normally be able to do as we were getting away. But the one thing that um, was hardest for us was being away. Um, it was particularly being away from you all because um, you're not just our work you know, you are our family. And so we missed being with our family this summer. And so the last, I guess, six, seven weeks or so that we've been back, it's been great to be back together with our family, to hear stories of God's grace in your lives, and for us to share a little bit um, on our end as well. And so it's good to be back, and it's good to be in the pulpit this morning. It's been a while, so I'm, I'm excited about that. All right, so why don't you go ahead and stand with me? We're going to look at Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Listen to God's word together. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. I just lost my place. There we go. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to come to you this morning and confess to you that there are so many voices, so many messages trying to attract us uh, to their message. Um, And we just can sometimes be distracted, we can be discouraged, but God, today I pray, I pray right here, right now, that you would speak to us, that your voice would be preeminent. I think about Psalm 138 and how the psalmist David said, God, you have exalted your word and your name above all else. And that's what we want this morning. We want your word to speak to our hearts. We want to listen to your voice and hear from your spirit what you would want us to to listen to and to respond to and to obey this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys take your seats, and as you do, uh, today's sermon is simply entitled, Wake Up. Wake Up. Um, How many of you guys like to wake up? Yeah, a few of you. She's still raising her hand. That's awesome. I do not. In fact, this was sort of the running joke with us over the sabbatical. Like, I would always want to sleep in, and Julia doesn't even have to set an alarm clock. She just is, wake up. She's always awaking. But this has been a pattern for me really all of my life. Um, I remember back when I was in college, and uh, I may have broken the record for the most times you push snooze. I did it for three hours. Count that. That's 20 times. I didn't even, I mean, I just kept, I was like, oh, I'm going to get up. No, nine more minutes. I'm going to get up. Nine more minutes. And so, yeah, I did that uh, for three hours. I remember back when I was in high school, um, this was back when I had the, you know, the, the teenager sleep in on Saturday morning. None of you guys are familiar with that. But my, uh, my younger brothers, they had not yet hit the teenage moments. And so um, they would want to wake me up. And so they would turn on the light when it was time, you know, for them to get me up. Uh, and of course, I wouldn't stir. In fact, I would, what do you do? You put the covers over your head. That's what I did. And then they would hop on my bed, wake up, wake up. And then they would do this. It's, we, we came to be known as the hot game. And so they would lay on me and on my covers, and they would blow hot air through the comforter, through the sheets, into my face. And by the end of it, I was perspiring. It looked like I'd run a, you know, like a marathon. I was just covered in sweat. And I was like, finally, okay, I'll get up. Um, it, was pretty, it was pretty brutal. Uh, that's, the, that's the life of the steak boys. But anyway, yeah, I, I did not, I have, I'm having a hard time waking up. But there are a few exceptions to this. I remember wedding day, man, nobody had to set my alarm. I was up. I was ready to go. I was ready to see my bride coming down the aisle. I was super excited about that. Remember when Abigail, um, when, well, when, when Julia was pregnant with Abigail and she nudged me in the middle of the night, I was like three in the morning, Scott, my water broke. And I was like, I'm up, I'm ready to go, let's go. We got to get moving. Um, so there's, there are some exceptions to that rule, but generally speaking, I have a hard time getting up. But the Apostle Paul, his message to us 
this morning is to say, hey, it is time to get up, Christian. It's time to wake up. Do you know what day it is? This day has the promise of a new life, of a, of a new glorious dawn. It's time to wake up. It's a big day. Let's look at verse 11, kind of snuck in the middle of this section of, of Scripture. It says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. What's he talking about here? He's not necessarily saying that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. But what he's saying is that just as the dawn appears, this promise of a new day, this glorious, majestic, wonderful day that's coming, in the same way, Jesus has appeared and he established a new kingdom. It's a new dawn. It's a new reality. And you're ready to wake up. Wake up to that reality. See, when Jesus walked out of the tomb... The disciples realized that something different has happened. And everything that they thought they knew about themselves, about the world, about God, about sin, about death, about humanity, about eternity, all of that crashed in the light of Jesus, who was standing before them. And he wasn't just sort of some dream or vision. He was reality. Jesus was true. And the resurrection body that he appeared with was the same resurrection body that those disciples would one day have. That Jesus was God in the flesh. And it wasn't just some sort of, some distant future. It was a present reality. This kingdom had come on earth the way that it is in heaven. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if this is true, you've got to wake up. And there's all these talking heads that are telling us about the way to live in this kingdom. The reality is this kingdom of the world, it's passing away, it's, it's fleeting, it's vanishing very quickly. Sometimes to us it can seem more present, more real, but the reality is, Paul says, it is very brief. It's like a vapor. And when you build your lives not on the passing away sort of kingdom, but when you build your life on the eternal kingdom, on the kingdom that lasts, it changes everything about your life. So in essence, he's saying, stop sleepwalking. Wake up. Wake up to this reality. And when you have a vision of eternity, it changes your perspective. It changes your hopes. It changes your dreams. It, in essence, changes the way that you live. So if you guys are stranger things, like Eddie, who says, Chrissy, wake up. You guys know that little jingle? I'm not going to sing it for you. But the Apostle Paul, in essence, says, wake up, Four Oaks. Wake up. And then he gives us two instructions as we are waking up to this reality of the new kingdom. So these are our two points this morning. First, wake up and love your neighbor. And then second, wake up and get dressed. Wake up and love your neighbor, and then wake up and get dressed. And I want to give credit where credit is due. So these two little taglines are from Pastor Joel Brooks who's a pastor up in uh, Birmingham. All right, so first, wake up and love your neighbor. So the last couple of weeks, we have looked at our relationship with the government and how we're called to submit to authority, to pay taxes, to, as verse 7 says, pay what we owe. But it's interesting, Paul sort of transitions into verse 8, and he speaks now, instead of about our relationship with our government, to speak about our relationship with society. 
And he says something else, though, about owing. He says, in this case, he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. So he says there's another debt that we owe. It's an owe, it's, it's a debt of love. And in actuality, it's a debt that we can never fully repay. Let's look at um, this whole section. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, and then he kind of lists like several of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul here is quoting Jesus. And Jesus, when he says that all of God's word can be summed up in two commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, he's actually quoting the book of Leviticus. Uh, And he's in essence saying, hey, if you want to follow my new kingdom, then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of us, in fact, probably most of us, if not all of us, have heard this phrase before. In fact, we've heard it so many times, some of us, we can kind of like gloss over like what it really means. I mean, think about this for a moment. Like, can you imagine this? To truly love your neighbor as you love yourself. That means whatever happiness you long for, you long for that with the same intensity for your neighbor. Whatever food or clothing or comfort you want for yourself, you want that same sort of comfort for your neighbor. Whatever purposeful or meaningful work or activity you want to be engaged in, you want that same sort of purpose for your neighbor. I mean, do you see how radical this is like, and also how impossible this is? And yet, if we actually live this way, Can you imagine what this world would be like? I mean, it would be a world in which we are so radically loving one another that we don't have to worry about our own needs because our neighbor is taking care of our needs. Can you imagine how beautiful a world like that would be? This is life in the kingdom of God. And this is actually what the Apostle Paul envisions for the church at Rome and for our church as well, to love our neighbors, to bless our communities, to seek out their good the way that we would seek our own. In essence, to see God's kingdom come on earth the way that it is in heaven. I mean, his book, The Rise of Christianity, the American sociologist Rodney Stark, he was reflecting back on and just really trying to come to grips with how Christianity flourished in the first and second century Roman culture. In fact, he wasn't even a believer. He was an agnostic. But, but he, he summarizes his findings with this statement. I want to read it to you. He says, in response to the misery, chaos, fear, and brutality of life in the urban Greco-Roman world, Christianity served as a revitalization movement. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to citizens faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered service. And he kind of summarized his finding in this way. He says, Christians were basically like a fireman. And while everyone else is running away from the fire, they run into the fire to rescue the broken and vulnerable, even at their own expense. In essence, uh, they sought to bring wholeness to the broken, 
to bring community to the isolated, to bring peace and rest to those who are weary and heavy laden. And as a result, Christianity thrived in idolatrous, pagan, Roman society. And the Apostle Paul is saying that's not just an invitation to the Roman church. That's an invitation to Four Oaks Church as well. To overcome evil with good. To bring our love and our faith to bear in whatever sphere God places us. So whether it's in our workplace, or it's in our neighborhood, or it's in our school, or it's on our sports team, or it's um, even in the line at the grocery store, the point is that we are to seek the good of others and to love others the way that we love ourselves. And when we do this, God's kingdom begins to flourish. And what's interesting here is that not only that... um, Paul says it twice. He says that when we do this, we actually fulfill the law. Sometimes we can pit the law of God and the love of God against one another. And and even when you read earlier in the book of Romans, you can maybe think that the law is somehow bad. The law is not bad. It just reveals to us that we're bad and that we can't obey the law perfectly. The only way that we can be saved is not through our obedience to the law. The only way we can be saved is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But the law of God and the love of God are actually together showing the character of God. This is why Jesus, when he comes on the earth, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to love my neighbor as myself. But here's the other thing about Jesus. Um, If you remember Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Now, that's not new. That's the Old Testament too. What is new, though, about this kingdom that Jesus has brought on earth? He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, this new commandment is displayed by Jesus. He's really the first person in all of history to actually fully love his neighbor as himself. He lavished his love perfectly and sacrificially and personally upon us through his death and resurrection. And in essence, he expanded even the definition of neighbor Back in the Old Testament, they thought, oh, yeah, you know, you love your neighbor. That's those people that are right next door to you. Those people that are nice to you, you're nice to them. Jesus said, no, 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 no. To love your neighbor means to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. What do we read earlier? God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were great. It's when we were sinners. At our worst is when Jesus gave his best. At her worst is when Jesus laid down his life for his people, and he invites us to do the same. So let me ask you, how are you doing at loving your neighbor? Are you seeking the good of others in your life? Are you living in such a way that your focus is not just on your own needs, but on the needs of others? Or maybe let me get a little bit more personal for you. Who is that enemy? that you know that you're called to love. But maybe you're struggling to do that right now. Guys, I, I've been asking that myself that same question. 
And I want to be honest with you. Um, C.S. Lewis, he says, to love is to be vulnerable. And when we are called to love the way that Jesus calls us to, it means that we are going to suffer sometimes. It may not be easy or comfortable to speak the truth to someone in love. It may not be popular to defend someone who's being bullied in your school or who's being maligned by someone in your workplace. It may not be safe sometimes to love someone who is hateful towards you. We've got to be honest about this. It is not easy sometimes to love our neighbor. And so I don't want you to hear this sermon and then receive it as, okay, I just got to muster up enough strength and I've got to love my neighbor as myself. Here's, if you're struggling in that place right now, if there's a particular person or, or you're just like, man, I, I don't even where to start, let me tell you where to start. Start with simply beholding the love of God for you. Think about your worst moment and see Jesus loving you. See his love extending to you. See his love covering you. And as you behold his love, 2 Corinthians 3 says that as we behold Christ, the Spirit enables us to become like Christ. We behold Christ, and then we become like Christ. And so I guarantee you, the more that you behold the love of Jesus for you, the, the more that his spirit enables you to love those around you. And then what is amazing is he begins to radically reshape our priorities, our orientation to focus less on self and focus more on others. And before we know it, we realize that when it comes to loving our neighbor, the most important gift that we can give our neighbor is not even clothes or food or all those things are great, but most importantly, to give them Christ. When we find our purpose and our new life in Christ, we want that same purpose and new life for them. We want them to love Jesus. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to find their identity in Christ. So Paul says, wake up, wake up to the reality of this king who loves you eternally, immensely, and as you do, love your neighbor as yourself. That's instruction number one, wake up and love your neighbor. Number two, wake up and get dressed. Someone, by the way, uh, pointed out a, a little, little mess up here. They're like, Scott, really shouldn't you get dressed before you go love your neighbor? I was like, yeah, that's probably a good point. I'm going to clarify that in second service. It's just the order of the text, okay? All right, anyway, so yes, wake up and get dressed. Let's go back to verse 12. Look at the second half of this um, paragraph here. It says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So up until um, this point, Paul has used the metaphor of darkness to talk about how we sleep in the darkness. And he's saying like, hey, wake up, wake up. But now he's using that metaphor a little bit differently. He's saying actually in the dark, that's when the world is really awake. 
Um, that's when they're doing all types of shameful activities. And you guys know this. Um, parents, you never want to get a phone call from your kid after midnight. Because you know it's not like, oh, I've been sharing the gospel with my friend. It's like, no, I did something really bad, mom and dad, and I need your help. What's the idea that Paul is trying to get at here? He's saying, listen, you used to be in the dark. You used to be wearing these garments of darkness like a, like a, like a badge on your chest. But now you've been brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. Now you've been brought into the light. And you know how it feels when you've been in the dark and you've been brought into the light. You feel ashamed of those dark deeds and you want to get rid of them. And the amazing thing is that Jesus says, I have given you new garments of righteousness. I've given you garments of light. You're no, you no longer have those garments of darkness now given you my robes of righteousness. I was thinking about this with um, a visit that I took to Amsterdam back when I was in college. And anybody who's familiar with that knows that there's the red light district, which is not a good place to go. And so we didn't go into the red light district at night, although we could see, you know, lights and different things going on over there kind of from afar. We kind of walked on the edge of it as we were going to our hotel but the next morning, I was like, I, wanna, I just want to walk through um, during the daytime and see what that's like. And here's what was really, really sad. There were people that were strung out on drugs. There were people who were just completely inebriated with alcohol. There were people who were just all messed up. And the Apostle Paul says, that's what you were like. Put on those garments of darkness any longer. Instead, put on the garments of righteousness. There's this idea here um, that's kind of inferred in this passage of scripture of identity, um, that our identity is in Christ. And there is an indicative statement that you are in Christ, that you are loved by Christ, that you are forgiven by Christ, that you are cleansed by Christ, that you are clothed with righteousness by Christ. And out of that identity, then, or that, that indicative statement, then he gives us an imperative. So put off the garments of darkness and put on, as he says here, the armor of light. In other words, live like you already are in Christ's eyes. Don't go back to those shameful deeds any longer. But if you and I are honest, sometimes we do, don't we? We can sometimes fall in a rut. Um, we can start putting back on those garments of darkness. And what's really happening in that place, I think what's really happening more than anything else is that we've forgotten who we are. And we've forgotten who Jesus is. We've forgotten what he has done for us, what he's purchased for us on the cross so that we could be rescued and redeemed and brought out of those dark, shameful things that we so once clung to. And Paul, so Paul, he's really warning us. He's saying, if you don't cling, though, to the love of Christ, then your sinful hearts will cling to the fleshly passions that don't truly satisfy I think it's interesting here um, how he uses this language. When he's talking about putting on clothes, when he's talking about getting dressed, he says, put on those garments of darkness, and then he says, put on the armor of light. 
You know, if you go to the gym, what do you do? You put on the gym clothes. Um, if you go to work, you put on work clothes. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you want to go out into the world, you have to put on battle clothes because the world will chew you up and spit you out if you don't. It is a dangerous place that we live in. We have an enemy who's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy us. He hates us. And we can't go out without our battle clothes on. See, we're still in a battle. Yes, Jesus has won. He has conquered death. And he promises to us new life forever with him. But the reality is we can still be wounded by the world. We can still be wounded by our enemy. We can even still be wounded by those sinful desires within us. And the Apostle Paul says, when this battle is raging on, we have to be intentional. We have to be deliberate. We can't be passive. We have to make war on our flesh, on our sin, on our enemy, on the world. We've got to put on the armor of light. This kind of echoes what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, where he kind of lists all of these different pieces of armor. And sometimes, I don't know about for you, but I can kind of get like confused. Like, wait, which piece of armor am I supposed to put on now? Is it like, you know, the, the helmet of salvation or the sword of the spirit or the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness or shield of faith? Like, which one am I supposed to put on right now? I love it here. This is like uh, the dummy, the, the, you know, the dummy way of, of making it for all this armor. Basically, Paul just says at the end of verse 14, he just says, you know what? Let's just keep it simple, guys. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that, what does that mean? In essence, he's saying, I want you to wear Jesus. I want you to let his love surround you, fill you, protect you. And when you do that, what does he say? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think you could almost read this as a cause and effect. When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not make provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus, what did he say? He says, you, either, you, have one, you have one master. You can't serve two masters. You either love the one or you love the other. He's saying, love me and see my love for you. See what I've rescued you out of. And the more that you see my love for you, the more I will enable you to say no to those things that you used to say yes to. And some of you, you saints out there, you've been a Christian for a long time. You're like, yeah, I, I've experienced that. I know it's true. I just don't have the same desires I once had for the world. I love Jesus more and more because I know his love for me more and more. At the same time, I, love, I was talking to a new believer not too long ago, um, a few weeks ago, and he was like, you know, uh, I, I, just, I just, I don't get angry anymore. Uh, I used to get angry, but now I love Jesus and he loves me and I don't get as angry as I used to. So I used to get really anxious, and I used to like, have a hard time sleeping, but the more that I put my trust in Jesus and I know that he's for me and he's never against me, I'm able to sleep better now. That's in essence what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, I, I just want you to understand that when you put on Jesus, he is your protection from the schemes of the enemy. His love guards you. His love takes care of you. 
John Wesley put it like this. He said, to put on Christ means to abide in Jesus and to live to please him. It is a strong and beautiful expression for the most intimate union with him and being clothed with all the graces which are in him. In essence, he's saying, I don't want you to be about religious behavior here. I want you to be about a relationship with Jesus. So in essence, what the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to wake up to the reality of Jesus and his love for you and just sit in it. Just spend time with him. Now, if you guys are like me, as soon as I spend time with Jesus and I leave my quiet time, what I, I forget, right? I forget because the world just distracts me and discourages me, and I forget. See that as another opportunity to draw back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I need you again right here, right now. Throughout the day, just continue to, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, remember, help me to remember your love. Jesus, help me to remember that you protect me. Jesus, help me to remember that you are for me, that you're never against me. I think so many of us are wounded by the world because we're walking through this world without putting on Jesus each day. The reason why I can be so hurt by people around me and what they say about me is because I don't take time to listen to Jesus and what he says about me. The reason why I can be filled with anger or bitterness in my heart is because I have forgotten and to receive the love of Jesus for that day. The reason why we can be so distracted by the news of the world is because we've forgotten the good news of Jesus. That's not temporary. It's eternal. It's rock solid. It's never changing. The fact that Jesus is the king. The fact that Jesus has come, that the new day has arisen. And Jesus will one day even dispel all the works of darkness. He will obliterate it all. He is coming back and it's sure We read that good news rather than the news of the day. The reason why I can be so weary sometimes is because I think that it's all up to me. And I've forgotten to come back to the one who says, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Not a yoke that's burdensome, but but he says, even my commands are light to you because I'm carrying that weight with you. And I'll tell you this, I'll carry the heavy load. I'll let you carry the light part. So if you are struggling with putting to death the deeds of the darkness, if you're struggling to put those off, come back to Jesus. Just receive Jesus and his love for you. Spend time with him. Take time to put Jesus on like your life depended upon it. Paul says when we do, it's beautiful, it's glorious, it's wondrous, and the kingdom of God comes on earth the way that it is in heaven as we shine his light and his love to those around us more and more and more as we display Christ, as we put on Christ and people begin to see Christ more and us less. So wake up. Wake up, Four Oaks. Love your neighbor. Wake up and get dressed with the garments of Christ. I'll share with you one story to kind of close us out this morning. 
Uh, I don't think he knew that I was doing this, but I was actually kind of practicing my sermon uh, on Thursday night on the flight back from Louisville, uh, from back in, from our conference, and there was a, a man next to me. He didn't know what he was getting into. He was sitting next to a pastor. Um, but uh, he was, we were talking a little bit, and um, it just, just kind of just went into conversation about his life, and he was talking about his kids, and we were just, you know, just, I was just listening to him, asking questions, and in essence, he said, you know what, like, I'm just realizing this, this world, it's not really that satisfying. It's just really not. Um, he was from a Hindu background, and so he said, you know, I, I just, I try to remember that, like, this life is not all there is, and I said, I completely agree with you in that. This, this, this life is not all that there is. Um, I said, actually, Jesus talks about this, and he said that this kingdom is passing away and that he's established a new kingdom. And I am of the firm commitment that the happiest, holiest, most loving, most kind, most welcoming person to ever walk the planet is Jesus. And he was a reflection of this kingdom that he is inviting every one of his followers into. And the more that we follow him, the more that we will be happy, the more that we will be holy, the more that we will be satisfied in him and be less satisfied with the world. And he's like, that's pretty interesting. He said, do you ever meditate? And I was like, what do you mean by meditation? He said, well, when I meditate, I try to empty my mind for 10 minutes first thing in the morning. I was like, how's that work? He said, it's awful. It's horrible. I was like, yeah, me too, man. I cannot empty my mind. My mind is constantly flowing with all sorts of thoughts. You guys there? I said, here's what I, here's what I do, though. Here's what my meditation is. It is, on the one hand, bringing those thoughts, those fear, those feelings to God. In essence, saying, God, would you remove those things from me, and would you help me to meditate more and more on you? Would you help me to fill up my mind and my heart with your kingdom realities, with your love, with your purposes? And the more that I do that, the more I embrace the kingdom of God that he's inviting me into. I said, the reality is though, I mess up all the time. And so I have to keep reminding myself again and again and again, Jesus, would you forgive me for what I've done? And would you help me to live more and more like you? Would you begin to shine through me more? And he's like, that's interesting. I said, yeah, it's, it's basically trying to establish habits to help you inhabit the world. And he's like, oh, I'm going to write that down. Um, at the end of the, the conversation, I said, well, I will love to talk to you more about this. Um, can I just share my number with you? Maybe we can chat later. And uh, he said no. Um, and I just remember being very heartbroken because I was super excited about maybe this guy coming to faith in Christ and doesn't mean that he's not going to come to faith in Christ. But here at the same time was this other reality that was going on in my heart and my mind. God, I am thankful that you woke me up. That I'm not in the dark any longer. That I'm in the kingdom of your beloved son. And I want for you to shine brighter through me, and I want for other people to be attracted not to me, but to Christ in me. And I know that's, a, that's your heart's desire this morning as well. And so, Four Oaks, I, I just pray that we would be the kingdom of God, that we would shine brightly, that we wouldn't be afraid of the world, but we would step into the world and display 
the love of Christ to those around us and trust that in God's kindness, he would open up the eyes of others to see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ, that they would wake up and join us in this kingdom that lasts forever. Let's pray.